Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to the August Movies Podcast. Coming up, we discuss the latest Blu-ray news. We look forward to The Hobbit, which will now come in a trilogy. Chris gives us his thoughts on The Dark Knight Rises. And we finish by looking forward to the return of Bond cinema and joining me on this evening's movies podcast is steve chris simon and mark good evening guys evening phil hello hi phil evening phil and we're going to kick off with some blu-ray disc news um so let's do it in chronological order if i can say that word and uh, we're going to start with lawrence of arabia out on the 10th of september region b this one seems like it's been coming forever onto the format yeah that's right phil i mean i definitely remember seeing uh, a teaser uh piece of Lawrence of Arabia on a Blu-ray back in 2006, I think maybe even earlier than that, late 2005. Uh, so this disc has been a long time coming, but to be fair to uh, Columbia Sony, Sony Pictures, um, they've done a, f- a full restoration of the original 65mm pr- um, negative, and they've done a, um, a 4K, well, actually I think it might have been an 8K scan of the 65mm um, uh, negative to do to create this blu-ray so you know it should look absolutely i've heard you know advanced word that says it looks absolutely incredible jaw-dropping um you know it should be one of the best looking discs ever been released um and obviously it's an amazing film so i think everyone's pretty excited about that one and we get it a month before the us does i think they get it until late october so um we're getting it uh, early in the uk and i think in the us it's only coming as a big you know one of those ultimate collection box sets rather than just being a disc uh, so, you know, 15 quid, you get one of the best movies of all time um, in pristine condition on a Blu-ray with all the extras, um, plus some new stuff, I think, as well. So, all, all in all, very exciting. It's going to be two discs, isn't it? Well, it's spread across two discs. Hmm. What, yeah, the probably. film? It's, it's, yeah, it's a four-hour movie, isn't it? <laughs> Three and a half hours. Yeah, I'd hope so, if I need to keep the bit rate up. But um, uh, it's still it's still going to be, uh, you know, a standard uh, Blu-ray box rather than being a you know, big, big box set, which you pay sort of over the odds for and don't want any of the stuff in the box anyway. It should so come on a camel. <laughs> come with a camel. <laughs> that would give me the amp. Hey, here we go. Yep, it's going to be a great one, that, isn't it? Uh, a film that I absolutely adore, but very, very rarely ever watch. It's one of those you've got to set an afternoon aside for it and really kind of be in the mood for it. Uh, classic. It's, it's cinema, isn't it? It's pure cinema, that. Uh, you kind of feel that you, you've got to have it in your collection, whether you like it or not. And, uh, but it's a film that keeps on delivering. It's got controversial elements to it. It's got a great character arc for Lawrence himself. Fabulous performance from Peter O'Toole. Marvellous soundtrack. Uh, it just Yeah, it's, it's going to be a blinder on Blu-ray. And as you say, it's been a long time coming, but let's hope um, it's been worth the wait. Bit of trivia. Panavision actually developed a lens that was used for one shot in this film, and it was never, ever used again in any other movie. Panavision built this lens just for the film. What was the shot? Was it the one when he comes out of the desert? Yep, that's the one. It's super long lens, so they could get the the whole uh, mirage type effect of him coming out of the desert. Uh, and it's never been used since. It's never been used since. It's uh, did they did they drop it down that well? <laughs> 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 no, it it sits pride of place at Panavision's headquarters in a box, and, and it's never been out of there since uh, since that was filmed. So, interesting bit of trivia. Yeah, according to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but yeah, I mean, you're right, um, Chris. It is an absolutely brilliant piece of filmmaking. I mean, it thoroughly deserves the Oscars it won. It's, uh, you know, it's probably David Lean's greatest film. I mean, I've been saving Bridge on the River Kwai and Dr. Zhivago to watch along with Lawrence of Arabia, but you know, those, those came out years ago, and I'm still waiting mm. for Lawrence of Arabia. River Kwai is a fantastic film. Play-off. Yeah, I mean, those is, that was his three great, you know, he was on a bit of a role then with Kwai, um, Arabia. I'm and then, personally uh, not a fan of Shivago, but uh, that, that's just me. But Lawrence of Arabia is, it, it's a real experience. So you, you do, that's one of those films where you genuinely do see something new in it each time you watch it. And the, just the sweep of it is just glorious. Massive epic filmmaking on, uh, you know, the, the truest, most majestic scale. 
It's got yeah. one of my favourite shots too, the bit when they're in the desert and suddenly the ship goes past them because they get the uh, yeah. Suez Canal. That's yeah. superb. No, it just I think the first half's the best, you know, uh, when you, you're getting to know him and he's beginning, he's getting to know the tribes and, you know, what the whole conflict is all about and where he, you know, his place in the whole thing. And he begins to change. And then, of course, there's one pivotal sequence, which we all know about, which changes him quite drastically. Um so yeah, it's it, it's a great one. When's that coming out again? When's the actual final release date for this? Tenth of September. Tenth of September on Region B. This is getting to be a mega year for releases, isn't it? Yeah, it is. The next couple of months are going to be pretty busy. Jaws. Well, unfortunately, Chris, uh, we covered Jaws <laughs> a couple of, couple of podcasts back. So, um, <laughs> unfortunately, we're not going to speak about that tonight. But uh, uh, another. Um, Damn you. <laughs> Another Spielberg classic is coming, uh, Region B, from Universal on the 22nd of October, uh, and that's our little green friend, DT. He's not green, is he? He wasn't green. green. He's, he's brown. He's, he's kind of teardish. Teardish. I didn't want to say it. I don't like him. No, he's, he, he's the one who destroyed the thing. He came out at the same time as John Carmen as the thing, and because this was a nice little alien, a nice guy that the kids could love, and he made their dreams come true. You know, and you know, he completely trounced. You know, the best alien of all, the shape-shifting monstroid from a thousand different galaxies. Damn him forever and his glowing finger. <laughs> I'm glad they've got guns instead of walkie-talkies. I'd shoot the mother, whatever. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the film myself. But, uh... <laughs> it's, it's tough to follow that. Mine was a political rant. Did you where it doesn't shine? <laughs> the the interesting thing with this movie was that it it was shot on a uh, shoestring budget. It was just supposed to be a little uh, a little fun project uh, that he wanted to do. Between, I think it was before they did um, the second Indiana Jones. Is that right? Yeah, it was between Raiders mm-hmm. and uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah, so I mean, it was just a, a little project that he wanted to do, a little film shot on a shoestring, and then it became the the biggest grossing film for for quite a number of years after that. He also shot it concurrently whilst shooting. Um, uh, technically, Toby Hooper was shooting it, but we all know Spielberg was basically directing it. Um, the Poltergeist at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And, they're, and they're quite. If you watch two films together, there are an almost similarity between the two, and, and they both got child, you know, child casts. Um, in fact, I saw a photograph on the on um, Ain't It Cool News a couple of weeks ago of Spielberg walking between the sets of the two films with all the kids from both films with him, which was quite a cool shot. Middle America, suburbia again, isn't it? Um, one's experiencing the dreams and possibilities of you know life on other planets and you know fantasy on its good side with the grown-ups being the swines and of course the other one is the things from the other other dimension just destroying the innocence of the children in suburbia and the parents having to fight to save themselves and their family from you know the, the outside influence so they're kind of flip sides the same coin really well they actually um, grew out the same film um um Chris, because originally uh, what became Poltergeist was a film called Night Skies, or a screenplay mm. called Night Skies, which was going to be the sequel to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, in a way, right, yeah. about an alien being left behind. That muted, mutated into both E.T. And, uh, and, and Poltergeist. And of course, he was going to allow Toby Hooper to direct that one. And because the whole thing fell through, he felt he owed Toby Hooper um, for, you know, because he missed out on that opportunity. So that's why he gets directorial credit on Poltergeist. Even though he was there on set every day, but so was Spielberg. And as we all know, Spielberg was calling the shots. But it's kind of like a favour well, to him, just watched the film, it's got Spielberg written all over, hasn't oh, it? Oh, there's, like there's no mistake movie. in that, yeah. Poltergeist is great. E.T. is great, but it's, you know, it's too nice and, you know, you know where it's going to go. The only reason E.T. worked so well was because of Williams' music. Mm. Without that music, if you, if you search on YouTube for, for the, the closing scene of... Um, uh, of when he goes into the spaceship without music, and you watch it, it's just horrendous. It's rubbish, absolutely rubbish. But with that music, you just cannot help but get involved. That's the only reason why the film works so well. Well, I, I, I don't know because it did uh, it did tap into a lot of the uh, a, a lot of what was going on at the time. I mean, the BMX thing. I mean, that was huge. Yeah, it, at that did, it did more for cycling than Bradley Wiggins. <laughs> it, it, uh, topical, it did m- topical point that Chris threw in and a sporting reference to you don't get many of them from me my, my favourite fact 
My favourite fact is they wanted to use M and M's when he's laying laying them in, in in a line to sort of tempt ET into the house, and M and M's wouldn't let them. Or have and Nestle is it? They wouldn't let them use M and M's. I thought uh, you meant the, the rapper. So they use they use they know, M and M's. <laughs> So they used Reese's Pieces instead, and Reese's Pieces had massive sales off the back of the film. Reese's Pieces? Yeah, the little Phil and Phil and I were eating them when we were in um, Vegas back in January. Oh, well, of course you were. It's basically uh, chocolate and peanut yeah. butter. It's actually yeah, quite nice. Really nice. It's, it's really a winner. Nice. Very Moorish. Will tempt any self respecting alien, alien Ted Bull. <laughs> and to wrap up on the disc news uh, this month, uh, coming out on the 1st of October, Region B release, uh, Prometheus. Oh, yeah, boo, sucks. Well, apparently with about half an hour of extra footage, so I don't know if it's being Ooh, cut that's into That's going to save it, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's not, but it, it might help, you know, explain a, sort of the last third of the movie. The final reel just doesn't make any sense at all. It might, might smoothen out a bit, but uh, yeah, I'm still going to get it. As much as I've knocked that film, um, I'm, I, obviously I'm going to I'm going to buy it. That's the, that's the weird thing about it. We all can't <laughs> wait to see it again on Blu-ray. It's going to look and sound great, isn't it? <laughs> but but the film might still be uh, a clanger. Uh, yeah, it's quite a well-stocked release as well, isn't it? Isn't there tons and tons of stuff on this? They usually is with, with Ridley Scott. Though. He does do good discs, to be fair. They usually have like a good making of documentary, he gives good commentary disc. tracks. He gives good disc, yeah, absolutely. And of course, the sequel's been uh, been mentioned now, hasn't it? And yeah, that's right, this week. New Media Pace is back on board, Fastbender's mm. back on board, Scott's back on board, and they're going but- to the... The engineer's planet, but Damon Lindelof isn't on board, is yeah, he? Yeah, good news. Uh-huh, because he's not available. Because he's crap. <laughs> Me but thinks. I think wasn't it originally uh, screenplay was originally in two big parts anyway, so they're just shooting the second half of what they wanted to make in the first place. I think. So. Yeah, well, I don't know. I gave up on it. So, as, as you can tell, dear listener, we're all looking forward to <laughs> Prometheus on Region B. I will say, actually, it was you, Steve, that mentioned you know the original Alien and how he really changed his style and his pacing and, and so on. And I actually went back and watched that a few weeks ago. I skipped the director's cut, went straight to the 1979 cut. And, yeah, I mean, photography-wise, pacing-wise, uh, the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. It's just people people do what they're supposed to do, blah, blah, blah. So I haven't seen Prometheus, but from what I've heard from everybody else, I don't think I'm going to like it. No, you'll be annoyed by it. Visually, it's, it's, it's sumptuous, yeah. I like the look of it. I like the sound of it, but the major thing is the script doesn't make any sense. It promises so much, doesn't deliver, or doesn't deliver even partway enough. And the characters do the most ridiculous things. Uh, you know, a bugbear of many genre movies, obviously. And Alien, you know, people go, a lot big complaint about Alien was that people keep going into dark rooms uh, with monotonous regularity. Well, the thing is, as you just said, when you watch it, they're doing it for a specific reason. Breck going into the cavernous, you know, under under carriage or whatever you call it, um, when he gets off, he's chasing a cat. <laughs> he doesn't think there's an, an eight foot tall, you know, brain chomping alien in there, does he? So you know, it's people are doing what they have to do in that film. In this one, you have geologists who have gone to find the, you know, the genesis of mankind. I'm here to study rocks. I just like rocks. I love rocks, mate. Rocks. I don't want to see dead bodies. And then runs off and gets lost. It's just... ah, oh, There's just too much that drives you mad with that movie. It's, yeah, it's, it's pathetic. Weak. Very weak writing. Okay, so get your pre-orders in now. That's Prometheus. <laughs> 1st of October on Region The annoying thing is I'm going to buy it. Push it off. <laughs> I know, we all are, aren't we? And one of us poor sods are going to have to write about it as well. <laughs> aren't you, Cass? Where are you, Cass? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll leave the disc news behind, uh, move quickly on to some movie news, uh, breaking movie news. That is The Hobbit is now going to be three films, Steve. It was originally going to be two. He finished shooting two weeks ago, and now he's decided he wants to do... A third movie, make it in a trilogy. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I'm massively surprised. I mean, can we all say ka-ching at this point? I mean, you know, if yes, you're going to milk something, let's milk it let's to do a tenth it. degree. Ka-ching. Originally, when they were talking about adapting The Hobbit uh, into a film, they were talking about doing two films. One was going to be The Hobbit, the book, and the other second film was going to be a bridging movie between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. That plan was eventually junked in favour of making The Hobbit as two films, uh, with some of the sort of stuff from the appendices from Lord of the Rings being added into sort of backstory to The Hobbit to, to sort of pad it out a bit um, to make it into two movies because it is quite a slight book. It's basically a kid's book, a couple hundred pages long. Um, now he's cut it together. He's cut, cut he's cut together the first film, which I think is subtitled Unexpected Journey. And um, 
and realized because he's built for what he's saying what he's done is he's created a lot more uh, character arcs and backstory to things like the 13 dwarves and he's added in so much now that he doesn't want to cut it out to get it down to say a reasonable um, you know, viewing length so he suddenly thought well actually I could shoot a bit more next year and have a third movie for 2013 I think they're planning on bringing it out in the summer of 2013 so uh, that's what they're going to do. They're basically going to sh shoot some more more next year. Uh, you know, basically, I don't know, 10, 15 weeks of shooting next year and create three movies built based around The Hobbit still, but with also much more stuff in the background, that backstory, basically. And I think the titles are going to be something like um, the second one's going to be called Desolation of Smog, and the third one will be Battle of the Five Armies. So um, am I pleased? In a way, yes, because you know, I enjoyed Lord of the Rings. I'm looking forward to The Hobbit. So more film is good. But uh, it does sound a little bit cynical, to be perfectly honest. Now, Mark, I know you, like me, were not a, a, a huge fanatic for, for Lord of the Rings. I mean, they were good films, uh, but we didn't quite get into it. I mean, are you looking forward to The Hobbit? Um, short answer, no. Long answer, <laughs> definitely no. not. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, as the hype seems to kind of swirl up, it just kind of compounds how much I just don't really care that much about it you know the, the, it's, I'm sure it'll be slick filmmaking I'm sure it will mean something for fans for people who read the books and you know people from a certain generation who who fell in love with it at the right age um, but I just I just don't feel anything towards it beyond just seeing it as a, as a slick fancy movie you know it's it's going to look great it's going to be big it's going to be epic but i think sometimes with with that kind of um translation to the screen the bigger it is the 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 grander it feels that plays into to what fans want to see but sometimes you know there are moments during fellowship where i just kind of felt well this has got to end at some point you know it it, it felt like a, a continual journey for me and and not really being into it, I just, you know, I wanted it to end. They're, they're walking to Mordor in real time, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It... It's, it, it's stretching it out, and if you love that, then that must have been absolute, you know, manna from heaven. Just to every single moment you were in Middle Earth, it must have been great for people who who really felt that they'd invested something in this universe, who couldn't wait, who, who dreamt of the day that it would come to the screen <laughs> in that way. But but for but me, no Tom you know, Bombadil though. <laughs> I, I just saw a lot of you know big-footed people and a few swords. You know, I, I just I didn't see the magic. <laughs> that would be great, a great tagline on a poster. Lots of little big-footed people and lots of swords. If you like that kind of thing, big thumbs up. You know, <laughs> it's your bag. It's your baggins. <laughs> I've I've got to agree with you to a certain extent, Mark. I mean, I, I have been following the production diaries online because I'm interested in the technical side of filmmaking and I think Jackson does some excellent uh, blog posts and that kind of thing where he really does take you behind the scenes and tells you all the tech technicalities into how they're shooting things and you see the sets and it's going to look epic, it's going to look great, it's it's the first real sort of big blockbuster that's going to be shot in 5k 3d so you know there's a lot of promise there in terms of technically uh, the technical side of cinema but uh, still when I see them all dressed up in their costumes and that kind of thing it just uh, it doesn't appeal to me you've got to see it though haven't you now <laughs> you've just described every reason why you have to go and see this movie oh, I, I, I don't get me wrong I will see it and, and Lord of the Rings I mean I've, I've got two box sets sitting in the in the cinema room and all the separate discs I mean I, I bought them because they're, they are um, epic movies uh, but but with me, I, I just didn't connect with that, with uh, with the characters in in a way on the first viewing with that I really wanted to, and, and I was a little bit disappointed with that. I'm a massive fan of the original trilogy, and I would normally be you know shouting about the Hobbit and really you know come on guys get behind this it's going to be awesome yes make more movies yeah do do all the appendices there's so much stuff in Middle Earth that you could cover, but. Um, in this particular year, there's so many things which are, you know, sort of piquing my interest before The Hobbit that I really haven't even given it much thought. And that's probably 
to me, it's probably a good way to be, you know, because I go too, totally overboard on stuff like this. And the amount of merchandise I've bought so far this year is ridiculous. So that I got everything from the Lord of the Rings, every sword imaginable, every figure you can get. So part of me is thinking, God, I don't want to go through all this again. I can't afford it. The house can't fit it all in anymore. Um, so I'm kind of like, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not thinking about it too much. There's been that much more um, this year, which has you know, taking me fancy, and you've got Bond as well, what, roughly the same time, Hobbit's what, December? Yeah, December, December. is it? And Bond is when? October? Or... End of October, I think. Yeah, so, Bond, Dread, and other stuff is coming out beforehand, and I just can't, um, I, I can't think that far ahead to this, and as you've just said, we've got a few years to invest in it anyway, so, um, but, you know, expect me to get on the hype, the, the Hobbit hype wagon, um, you know, towards the back end of the year, it's going to be awesome. Mark said slick a few times there. I don't think this filmmaking for these is actually slick. I think it's quite deeply textured, um, very, very layered, very um, leisurely in some in some aspects, dynamic in others. Uh, slick seems to be the, the, the wrong way to have described it, I, I feel. Um, and that's what I feel about Lord of the Rings and, and Peter Jackson's interpretation of it. It's, it's the cinematic sagas that you literally, if you want to, fall into and you can roll around in it, and it it feels real. And, you know, you come out, you think you're smelling of Mordor, you've got orc blood on you, and it, it, they're that immersive uh, in purely, uh, you know, thematic and textual terms, which is why I think they they hit such a cultural um, zeitgeist. Got to throw some good words into this. Uh, with a lot of people, you know, so... <laughs> and, 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 now, and now I've lost my thread. <laughs> I think it's interesting that Jackson's got so much pull these days that he can actually, you know, tell the studio I'm going to make it into three films and they haven't blinked an eye on that because they have to renegotiate the contracts with all the actors because they only, only had two films in their original contracts. But so they know these are so huge, they can do it. Yeah, he, I don't know, got, another billion dollars in the power. bank, isn't it? Yeah. Well, he, anyway, he owes me big time because I had to sit through two hours of The Lovely Bones and I want those two hours back, frankly. Ah, God, so, yeah, you're right. right. That was garbage, wasn't it? One, one of the interesting things is that Andy Serkis is actually the second unit director on this. Yeah. Yeah. which is quite interesting. Uh, is this the start of a new career, or is he just getting that role because him and Jackson are good mates? It'd be interesting I think I to saw see. him inter- being interviewed last week where he was saying that Jackson's been you know, mentoring him, obviously, and, and been really supportive in terms of uh, of developing him as a, as a second-unit director. And, yeah, that could well be a start of a new career for Andy Serkis behind the camera instead of in front of it. So watch his space. Well, he, he knows the guts of filmmaking now, doesn't he? Anyway, you know, from the, the amount of mocap stuff that he's done, he's a blue good actor in his, in, you know, in his own right, but mocap, he made that his own. He created these characters, uh, so he spent a hell of a long time learning the ropes and obviously, you know, investing a lot more time than some of the other actors involved. So I'm not surprised that he, he's going to move into that because it's a very technical thing that he's been doing, so he's obviously got the interest and aptitude and patience for it. Yeah, actually, if you watch the documentaries about the making of the original trilogy, Lord Rings trilogy, um, they had about seven units shooting at one point. I mean, so I think just about everyone directed a second unit on that film various times. <laughs> Certainly, I know Jackson did. Barry Osborne, the producer, did. I know that. Uh, I did a bit Van as well. Walsh did. Mm-hmm. Philippa Boyens did. I mean, just about everyone was directing second unit at some point. But I guess I it's thought... good to have somebody you trust doing it, isn't it? Because if you, if you're not going to be there on yourself, you need someone you can trust to do second unit. So I filmed all the bits with Rosie. You know, um, <laughs> the one that's Rosie Cotton. Married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Simon, you anything to add to the the Hobbit discussion? Um, not most. Most of it's been covered, really. Um, I mean, I guess most of it depends how long these films are. I mean, if they're only an hour and a half long, then three films at an hour and a half isn't too long. But I mean, they won't be an hour and a half long. I can guarantee no, that, Simon. <laughs> but I, I don't, and then we're, we're not in any. I don't think we're in any problems with with Jackson and, and this world that he's created. I mean, we all want to see more of it. Except um, for Phil and Mark, know, he, he's already proved that he can that he can do it. So I don't think we'll, I don't think there's any problem with it. I mean, we're all going to go and see it because because they're, they're brilliant. They're just brilliant films. Yeah, well said. Meh. Meh. What's it called again? Meh. All right, so that's the movie news. Hobbit, Snow, three films. First one is uh, December at the cinema. I think it's December third. Is that correct? Thirteenth, I thought. Thirteenth. I knew there was a three in there somewhere, and now there's three movies. Right, moving on. And uh, The Dark Knight Rises came to the cinema uh, this month. Tragically, on the 20th of July, uh, midnight showing in the States, and, and we all followed what happened on the news, and it was truly despicable and really sad that it was with this movie. 
Chris, I know you put something in your review about that. Um, yeah. and, and I've got to say, I read that and I agreed with you 100% with, with everything you said there. Horrifying. I mean, I, I saw it the first possible show when I could get to, which happened to be, I think it was nine o'clock in the morning. And um, saw it on my own. No one else could, could, could make that showing. And uh, it was just me. And I thoroughly loved the movie, um, as you've probably read. And uh, then I walked out and almost immediately I was confronted with the news about what had happened in Colorado and it was absolutely, it just, the, the floor just, you know, disappeared from beneath me because I'd just been in that cinema, not that one, but I'd been in the cinema and you think, Christ, you know, how easy would it be for anyone to do that? Stand up, start spraying bullets around, you know, people have, it doesn't matter where it is, a shopping center, a plane, wherever, you know, innocents are massacred or attacked or whatever happens, um, but in a cinema, we're to, I'm talking to people who go to cinema a lot. We understand the excitement and the build-up. Can you actually imagine? I mean, the hype that I'd put myself through for this movie, sitting there, all excited. God, I've been waiting for months and months, years, in fact, for this film. And then some sod gets up and just takes your life away. Okay, so, I mean, what happened, uh, like you say, it, it, tragic. Um, it should never happen. Um, it is going to taint this movie, but... Let's move our attention away from that um, and onto the actual movie, Chris. Um, what were your thoughts? <sighs> Briefly, uh, one of the most highly anticipated films, certainly in 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 my short life so far. Uh, I thought it was tremendously emotional, a massive gut punch. Um, you wanted to see Bane, you wanted to see Catwoman. We all wondered how they were going to fit them into Nolan's gritty real life or as real as it could be superhero saga and I think he did a bang up job of it um, the film is huge it's Leviathan, it had to be though it had to be an epic they went back to one of the, the pivotal stories in, in Batman's um, mythical lore, uh, the breaking of the bat um, by Bane um, no spoilers there of course but I think we all know what happens there and yeah the majority of the film is excellent but it is a fl- like, again like most most certainly most of this trilogy it, it's flawed. Batman Begins has plenty of plot holes and flaws to it, but it has a momentum that builds and builds and builds and ends on on, on a note of euphoria. The Dark Knight, which I think is the best of the trilogy, by quite a long way I should add, um, is fiendish, um, elaborate, really Machiavellian, very devious, very clever, and massively um, emotional, uh, really. Uh, under, undermines Batman at the end and he has to make this terrible sacrifice there's only really one way it can go the whole saga is that he has to save Gotham, that's his crusade it has to end this time so they have to up the stakes and obviously the whole of Gotham is now at stake in a very big bad way uh, with Bane and his devious master plan uh, Bane is not as interesting a character as the Joker but then again it'd be very hard to find someone who would be but at least what happens now is that Bane is the uh, the, the physical. Um, uh, he's exactly the same physically as Batman. Intellectually, he's very strong. He's a strategist. He's a mercenary, but he can fight and take down the Bat. You know, this guy is is absolutely fearless. The Joker couldn't do that. You know, no one else could do that. But Bane is the one. So the film has to employ a fair bit more violence than the uh, the, the first two. Chris Nolan's never been a great director of uh, fisticuffs. I've, I've commented on this many, many times in the past. Uh, but he got better with The Dark Knight. Uh, he got better again with this. But then, then again, it was absolutely essential that you must do. You've got to see these two going toe-to-toe. And it is majestic to, to see. He's still not the best at it, but it, it's, it works for me. The film is flawed. Um, it's got, a, you know, like a lot of us, a sagging middle section. Um, and I think on a fundamental level, they've had to do a fair bit of tinkering to, to fit this plot together an injury time and this sort of five month I'm not going to go into too much obviously plot wise there's still people out there who haven't seen it Phil (laughs) Um, (laughs) but basically the end when it finally comes is a race against time and it's a big noble you know glorious finale which has you on the edge of your seat your heart's in your mouth and you're punching the air at the end of it and basically what more can you say than that, you know, as a, as a show capper, a trilogy finale, 
it's tremendous. It works on a purely, well, mainly emotional level for me. I've now seen it several times. Uh, one time, I know we've discussed the uh, the atrocity in in America um, already, but one time my son and his mates were going to go and see it, and I was terrified that um, they wouldn't get in because it's a twelve and there was no grown up with them. So even though I'm only five or six, I thought you know I left work early to try and join them, and by the time I got there. Because because it wasn't just that my wife phoned me as well in work and said like look you know and I know you don't want, really want to see it again you can't really afford and you know to go and see it again you've spent so much on it already but uh, just think about what happened in America and I thought oh god yeah you're right I'm gonna have to I can't let them sit there oh god it'd be on my mind for you know the, the 49 hours the film runs for I'm gonna have to be there and protect them so um, when I got there one of the lads his mates had brought his 16 year old brother who was about eight feet tall, but didn't look 16, but he was tall enough. So he got him in, and I walked away, and I thought, ah, oh, well, okay, job done there. And then I thought, oh, hang on, I want to go and see it again. <laughs> so, so I ran back, <laughs> got, got in, and saw it again for, like, showing number five, I think it was. So, as you can appreciate, by this time, you know, I pretty much... knew knew the whole di- all the dialogue off by heart, knew all the action beats, um but the flaws, after after the second showing, I didn't even notice them because it works on such a you know an exciting cathartic level. Christian Bale uh, is superb; uh, he always has been. Uh, Batman is on screen a lot less than you kind of think he's going to be, but that's been kind of a common thing throughout it. It's Bruce Wayne's story. Bruce Wayne and Batman are one and the same. It's their story combined. Um, and he's magnificent. Michael Caine, every time he's on screen, you know, there's a tear in his eye, there's a, there's a lump in your throat, and, you know, it's it, it's emotional stuff. <laughs> uh, and, of course, you've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Now, you know, we all know what character he's being groomed to play. Um, however this saga ever takes off in another tangent, perhaps, uh, we all know who he's meant to be. And you know, a lot of people thought, ah, "How's that going to work?" Because you know, we all we all sussed it. How is he? How is he going to fit into this? Miraculously, he does. And in fact, he's very magnetic. A great charismatic actor. He, he plays John Blake, who's this sort of hot-headed Gotham copper who becomes a detective because Jim Gordon recognizes some some talent in him. You know, a bit of nous to this guy. And every time he's on screen, you're glued to him. And you didn't expect that. I mean, pretty certain no one expected him to be as good as he was. And he, he held it. He really held it together. Um, Anne Hathaway, again, a lot of people were thinking, you know, can she cut the mustard as uh, as Catwoman? Never gets called Catwoman in a film, but we all know who it is. Uh, and God, yeah, she most certainly does. Sexy, devious, uh, which side of the law is she actually on? Who's she, who's she rooting for? Can you trust her? She nailed it. Awesome stuff. Looks great in those big silver high heels as well. Um, Tom Hardy. Oh, God. Again, you have controversy here. Tom Hardy and The Voice. The Voice of Bane. Where did he get that from? He he cited it as being... uh, He saw a documentary on the King of the Gypsies. So he was going to use that voice. I have not seen that documentary, but um, that voice is all over the place, isn't it? It's, 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 It's English. It's refined. There's an exotic twang to it sometimes. Um, you've got a bit of Sean Connery in there as well. There's a lot of things. There's a bit of Stewie Griffin as well. <laughs> There's a lot of things to that voice. But my God, you know that, that Darth Vader kid's voice changer thing that you can get? I want to Bane one of those. Me, me and me kid have uh, been running out of house doing Bane impersonations for, for weeks now. and It's just, it's, it's awesome. It is, and I, people have had a problem with like, hearing what he says, understanding what he says. To be honest with you, I, I thought it came through fine. I've seen it IMAX, I've seen it in normal normal screens. Didn't have a problem with it at all. Don't know if Simon, did you have a problem with it? No. Um, yeah, no, I, I couldn't hear a bloody word anyone was saying in it. You, you couldn't? Not just Bane. Really? All, was there, all the characters were difficult to understand. Did you see it IMAX? No, I saw it digital, digital screening at an Odeon. Right. Wow. That's... Well, I had no problems. I saw it twice at the same cinema. Um, once upstairs, once downstairs, and both times sound fine, absolutely fine. I, t- I was thinking I mentioned last time the Kingston one, brilliant. I no thought the audio whatsoever. was really badly mixed, but it might have been the cinema. You know, obviously I'll hold judgment until I see it on Blu-ray. Well, the, the mix is very, very um, bass-heavy. It, it obviously endorses Hans Zimmer's massively percussive score. 
Um, I've, I'm on record for you know a love-hate relationship with Hans Zimmer's work, but you know it, you know the, the one touch. I'll, I'll press this button now, and I've got an entire score there. There you go. There you go. There's all samples. Uh, yeah, he does do that, but he doesn't in this. Oh, people have been ripping him apart for like it's just a, it's just drum loops and and synthetics all over again. It actually isn't. He's got an orchestra there, a very big orchestra, and they're playing this stuff. But it does sound very industrial and very, um, you know, synthesized. But that's, that's that's been the recurring theme throughout all three movies. And this is the sound of this particular incarnation of Batman. And man, it's glorious. It is. I mean, that that, that sound mix and that score for this movie, Jesus, you know, it, my ri- my ribs were shattering with some of the uh, the, the sound effects on this. Uh, and that major fanfare, and of course Bane's that fanfare, where he got all the fans to um to send in you know, their own recorded voices, which he would mix together to make the chant, this uh this bizarre chant, which is this driving percussive, motoring force for for, for Bane, and of course it, it means rise, rise is the um the symbolic essence of this movie. Batman must fall before he can rise. You know it's. It's all very, you know, metaphorical and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, but the action, awesome. The story, yeah, there's plot holes. There's some major revelations which, you know, if you're a Batman fan, you're going to spot them anyway. But I think, I know people who, who don't know, who aren't that well-versed in um, in Batman lore and the comics and that. But the way the camera lingers on one particular character when that's, this particular character says something, you kind of know, mm, yeah you're not what you're cracked up to be are you and that's quite early on so you know it's not the greatest revelation of all but having said that look at the bat's face when it happens Simon Steve you know what I'm talking about but there's one particular sequence and again it's 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 Bale Christian Bale uh, can be a you know a tedious bore in movies um, but I've all I've usually sung his praises and he's been magnificent as the Bat. So he's my favourite incarnation of Batman, and I'm gonna th- find it very hard to take to anybody else taking on the air uh, the mantle of the Bat. But you know it's going to happen, um, and I think it's right that he's bowed out. I think it's right that this saga has come to a, a close. I think. I'll tell you what I didn't like, and this is not a spoiler thing, so it's, it's not going to be an issue. But basically, he spent uh, Nolan spent two films going on about how you know I'm grounding Batman in reality. It's going to be a superhero movie, but it's going to be based upon real things, and people aren't going to be doing anything silly. Then you're going to have Catwoman wandering around in thigh-high boots and stilettos. If you're a cat burglar, surely that's the last thing you're going to wear. I mean, don't get me wrong. She looked great in them, but it was utterly ridiculous, and it destroyed any illusion of reality whatsoever within the film. Um, I, I don't agree, uh, mainly because Batman has changed things already. Uh, at the end of Batman Begins, they actually say, you've changed things. You know, p- People are now going to start seeing this costumed vigilante and take to the streets and find their own identity as, you know, I'm going to assume a character, I'm going to be something. Yeah, yeah. So so I, I don't mind her assuming this, yeah, this character uh, because she's uber good at what she does. The high heel stilettos is ridiculous. Come on, it should have been but, flat heels. Well, they, they, but they do reference it. She's got... <laughs> it's a slight spoiler. We won't say who the characters are, but she's got one guy's arm pinned to a wall by the stiletto, and uh, the, a gun appears in the back of her head, and the fella says, <laughs> it must be tough to walk in those heels, and she back heels him, you know, <laughs> in a rather, rather ten, tender area with one of these heels, and then just says... I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> and so they reference the fact that you know it's it is ridiculous. But you've got to do it, mate. It's 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 Batman. You're bringing Catwoman in. You've got to have some of these elements in it as well. It's got well, no, to yeah, be. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. But he's gone on about Granny reality. So she had like a mask, which is fair enough to keep herself identity secret. She had uh, night vision goggles, which when she flicked them up looked like cat's ears. Okay, so mm. you've got the cat's ears without actually being cat's ears. It doesn't look ridiculous. But then he goes and has thigh length, thigh length boots with high heels. It's just bloody ridiculous, frankly. It's for us, I, mate. It's for us. I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> but the film, the film was. Way too long and bored on self-indulgent at times, I think. I mean, basically, I think Nolan's got to the point now where he's made so much money for Warner Brothers, I let him do whatever he wants. Because, um, I mean, yeah. you, you, when you watch the film, you think, bloody hell, for large chunks of it, you don't see Batman, as you've already mentioned. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing any other director would have had studio notes saying, we want to see Batman earlier on in the film. Why aren't we seeing him for the first 20, 30 minutes? You know, I mean, 
I don't think any other director could have had the weight or the clout to get away with that. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, had, well, had some I, really I good definitely take on board some of this. Uh, it is an indulgent movie, without a doubt. Um, but and, and the thing is, there's a couple of moments where it doesn't work at all because you've got there's a little speech between Alfred and um, Bruce where Alfred gives a revelation about something we've already seen in an earlier movie. Now, that scene, if any scene should have gone on for longer, I know it's a long film, but that scene should have been more emotional than what it is. It's like he just cut, he cut the whole thing down there. That's That was one of your big emotional peaks, and he didn't do it. Batman just says, well, goodbye, Alfred, and walks up the stairs. You know, yeah. and you really should have been, oh, God, that moment should have gone on for so much longer. That's a major, major thing. Um, okay, there's a lot more stuff he has to get through, obviously, but um, you know, th- well, yeah, I was you say a bit that it, it crushed goes by on that. For, it goes on for nearly three hours, and yet the ending feels incredibly rushed. The last, basically, the last five minutes, ten minutes, and, just and... it just feels <laughs> like they, they're just trying to get to the end at that point when they, they could. It just felt too condensed. Um, and, having and, spent and again, two and a half hours messing around up to that point, the getting back from one distant location. <laughs> is kind of smoothed over, isn't it? I mean, that that's yeah. another thing as well, you know, is ability to arrive in places just at, at the right time. But uh, how did he get back in there? I know he's Batman, but he could have... He's had to go a long, long way to get back there. Anyway, you know, it's, we shouldn't uh, be ripping, <laughs> ripping it apart in such spoiler-heavy fashion. So that's uh, The Dark Knight Rises, Chrissy's thoughts and, and the rest of the guys that have seen it. I've yet to see it, but I'm looking forward to it probably be on disc now uh, with picture perfect and everything else getting in the way but we're going to wrap up first of all olympic opening ceremony i know a lot of us here are not sports fans we don't like sports day but i've got to say director danny boyle i think he did the country proud guys and uh, i was a little bit scared for him i know how the press in this country can be pretty scathing when things are a bit naff and i was a bit scared for him but he absolutely nailed it he knocked it out the park uh, metaphorically and literally, I think in this case, uh, I, it was it was genuinely uh, moving at times. Um, it was really impressive visually. Uh, it was sweet and and funny. Uh, I think he just did a brilliant, brilliant job. I'm not sure how well it translated to other people in the world, but certainly I think in the UK, um, I'm not sure whether people in America know what the National Health Service is, for example, or Great Ormond Street Hospital. But um, you know, I thought the fact that those were actual nurses and doctors dancing was really impressive. I mean, I've watched it again yesterday in 3D, or bits of it in 3D. Um, and and uh, the bits with the burning rings, uh, you know, molten metal rings in the sky, looked absolutely amazing. I mean, it was, it was really, I thought it was an incredible job. I thought, actually, for me, I preferred it to Beijing. I thought Beijing was just bombastic propaganda um, by a totalitarian state where they just threw money at it, cast the thousands. That's easy to do. What Danny, Danny Board does, he did something that had genuine heart to it. Uh, it was quirky. It was funny. It was it was educational. It was interesting. It was moving and beautiful. And and I think he genuinely did us proud. Couple of points there, Steve. Uh, the Americans just didn't get it. If Twitter's anything to go by, um, I happened to be on Twitter the evening because it was delayed. NBC wouldn't do it live, uh, yeah, and obviously right. NBC NBC are, are the main broadcaster in the US for the Olympics. They're the official broadcaster. Um, so they did it on a delay, and reading the Twitter feeds was quite funny. They just did not get it. The number of people that thought it was Abraham Lincoln um, <laughs> during, <laughs> during the Industrial Revolution part. It should have been was... killing vampires, <laughs> instead of his Bar Kingdom Brunel. Yeah, but uh, I mean, one one of the strong points with Danny Boyle, and it, and it's always been that right from Shallow Grave all the way through to Slumdog, is his use of music and and his his partnership with Underworld in creating soundscapes and that kind of thing, and that really came across in the opening ceremony. I mean. the the music tracks that were picked, the the way it was mixed together, yeah, it was a little bit the bit with the with the lad and the lass and the lost mobile phone. It was a bit cheesy, but it was supposed to be. It was supposed um, to be, yeah. and it was, it was supposed, supposed to be like to. that. And it and it was a it was a celebration of our music from from the sixties onwards. And if it's one thing it does really well, it's uh, it, it's music choice. And I thought the whole thing was absolutely inspired. Even the Mr. Bean bit, which I thought was a bit naff. But. Oh, yeah, that, that that could have gone so badly wrong, but it, it got you laughing. You were genuinely, oh, my God, when you saw who it was. I'm, you know, on the keyboard as well, getting bored playing the same. No, it was just, that was fantastic. 
He's well known internationally, so that would have translated. And I think all the Mary Poppins flying down are really cool. And I'm sure people would have got that in other countries because that's a famous film. And I think obviously, like... the, the bit we're going to lead on to now, which leads into Skyfall, is, is, is was quite a surprise. And I remember watching it thinking, like, that's not actually the Queen, is it? Oh, my God, that really is the Queen. That really is. <laughs> no, no, she wouldn't have do that. <laughs> but she has. <laughs> And she did. It was really funny. Uh, good evening, Mr. Bond. <laughs> the, the, the two princes were on their TV before being interviewed about that. And they, they both didn't know that it was going to happen. Uh, I think Harry had, had an inkling that something was going on, but they had kept it from them. So it was a genuine surprise to them as well when it, when it actually happened. But God, it was fantastic, wasn't it? I wish they'd landed actually in you know the Olympic arena as well, like in a, and he had a lucky likey underneath as a helmet came. Well, up. they couldn't but, because of all those wires above them. Yeah, it, it obviously couldn't have happened that way, but it was superb, a really inspired moment, a very massively patriotic. You know, you actually felt proud, didn't you? We don't feel proud to be British that often, in fact, hardly ever, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, but you know that that worked. Let's just say the music was fantastic. The whole cultural. Um, exploration of what it is to be living in the UK from the past, the Industrial Revolution to to, to modern culture was just so inspired uh, amazing to look at and you know the sheer number of people involved in it, I mean you look at these things and you think someone's going to be smirking or laughing or doing it wrong because there's so many people there and a lot of them were drafted in you know, sort of like you know they didn't even know what they were doing really but they were fantastic you didn't see anyone fluffing what they were meant to be doing. They all looked committed, all looked determined. Or you, you, you bought into it. It was truly outstanding. The only bit I don't like was them, the footage of the corgis. Oh, and Churchill's statue. That was a bit cheap. That was like the snowman. You know, a, a chocolate-covered snowman. It was turning around and, and saluting. It was no. That was that was that was the worst bit for me. But otherwise, mate, no awesomeness. Before we wrap up on the Olympics, but uh, those were the two highlights for me. The the Bond sketch I thought was excellent. Really enjoyed the music bit and the lighting of the uh, um, the cauldrons. Yeah, that was. Amazing. I thought that was absolutely inspired, and, and and the music track and the way they did it, and the fact that they passed it over to the next generation, um, which which was the message they wanted to get across. So, um, so yeah, it was fantastic. But the Bond bit absolute class and I know what you're saying Chris but again it's a bit tongue in cheek and Daniel Craig just is Bond isn't he oh it was perfect wasn't it perfect he, he is the man without a doubt and the Queen Queen was superb as well <laughs> <laughs> didn't miss a line yeah. she, she was great yeah good on her and uh, of course just two days ago we got the uh, the full Skyfall trailer um, it's now out there and uh, got to say Gotta say, it looks absolutely fantastic. Sam Sam Mendes, you never you never believed it from him, would you, Sam Mendes? No, but, I must admit, when I heard he was doing it, I was like, Sam Mendes, really? Oh, this doesn't sound good. But I watched the trailer because Phil told me about it a couple of days ago, yesterday, I think, and uh, I thought it looked awesome. I thought this, I'm really excited yeah. now, really looking forward to Skyfall. That that's that's the one for me. I know we talked about the Hobbit before, but. The, I've got a struggle to get past Bond to, for the Hobbit. I can't even think of the Hobbit now because Bond is just owning the end of the year for me. I just cannot wait for that. A, a magnificent, you know, return to form. Let's hope it's going to happen, and I think it will. That trailer really gets you going, doesn't it? Great stunts, great action, lots of intrigue. Xavier Bardem with a blonde barnet. Don't know what's going on there, but you know, you've got to have an oddball villain as well, haven't you? <laughs> I think I saw this um, trailer uh, before my second show of, of Dark Knight Rises. Um, if it's the part I'm thinking about, is it? Is, does it start off with him um, being interrogated? No, that's the teaser. That's the teaser. Oh, no, I haven't seen the, the other one. This one shows more of a train destruction and motorcycle stunts, jumping off bridges onto trains. Bit of humour. It looked awesome. It looked really. It good. does. Yeah. There's a there's a lot a lot in it. Yeah, it's great. Wow. Well, I mean. No, Danny Danny Craig is is for me is is Bond. You know, I, I just don't think he can be beaten. Even the the um, Quantum of Solace, which wasn't a great film, I just thought he was fantastic in it. So um, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's, I haven't been to the cinema as much <laughs> this year until Batman came. Than, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I went, I saw, I saw Spider Man, I saw, I've seen Batman two, three times. I'll, I'll be going to see Bond. I'll probably go and see The Hobbit, and. You know, the, the past few years, I haven't been at all. You know, I've been quite happy to say... Oh, of course, of course um, 
uh, Avengers as well. I went to see that. Um, and that sort of kick-started off, actually, Avengers. And then I've just sort of fallen straight back into, into going back into the cinema again. As previously, I'm quite happy to have just, you know, sit back and wait and get them on disc. But uh, no, Bond, definitely. No, yes. Th- this has been a great year for cinema, uh, for people getting off their bums and then going and sitting on their bums in somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> but people have been... I've been going to flicks a lot this year, a lot more than ever before, and it's been mainly very, very busy um, auditoriums every time. Spider-Man, obviously, Avengers. Um, but look what we've got coming as well. We've got Dread. Oh, my God. Dread. Guys, have you seen the trailer for that? I know it looks like the raid. I know it looks like the raid. But it was done at the same sort of time. My, and, and it's going for like a hard R rating as well. It's, it's got it, hasn't it? It's a, it's a nasty, explicit, brain-blowing out, you know, gory maelstrom. Lena Headey playing a bitch with a scarred face. I love Lena Headey. I love her. I'd, I'd, I'd fight her. That's not what you were about to say, though, was it? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I was ready to hit the bleep button there. <laughs> another, another fantastic yeah. time rescue. <laughs> it does, it does look quite good in the trailer. I, I, I was worried about it because it'd been postponed for like a year with reshoots. And you're thinking, oh, that sounds like that sounds like a film in trouble. But uh, it looks good in the trailer. I'm quite, quite oh, excited about that. Looks, looks really. And Expendables two. <laughs> Come on, get in there. Chuck, don't let me down now. Come on, fellow Ginga. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. It's not a PG-13 anymore, I know, but <laughs> get in there. Get well, in just there. just to wrap this podcast up, because uh, time is running away from us, and just touching back on, on the uh, on the new Bond, uh, the Bond box set is coming out on the 24th of September, Region B. Uh, pretty well priced as well, at £90 for 22 films. Um what do you guys think of that? I mean, I, I know some of you'll have picked up the discs already uh, that have been available, but all 22, 90 quid. Go away. Yeah, I'm there. 22, 22 God, films, 90 quid. Bargain. On a Magic Secret Service. Oh, man. In high def. Oh, lost the sound. Come on. That's going to be awesome. Golden Eye. Watch, Golden watch all 22 before I go and see Skyfall. Not, not in one time. But even a view to a kill. Um, of course. <laughs> Kill's okay. Uh, Dying of the Day is pretty poor, I have to say. I think that was a very weak Bond film. But, uh, Octopus, there's some real gems in it. Octopus, he's not. Don't great. you know who this Blue is? is this rosy. is James Bond. Yeah, and I'm Dick Tracy. Oh god, <laughs> it, it it is nightmarishly bad in many many ways. But you got to watch it. Mark, you still here? Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> Look, well, mate, I mentioned the raid. I mentioned it. Yeah, all right, it's, all right. It's Oriental. <laughs> have you seen the raid, Mark? You must have done. Oh, Haven't Blue seen it yet. Month, by the way. <sighs> You only like Oriental movies, and there's the one you should have seen. I've never said that. I've never said I only like them. (laughs) Yeah, well, it it sounds like a bumper box set. Uh, You know, as you've said, 22 films for that price, it it just seems like a a bit of a no-brainer. And what is it, something like 120 hours of bonus features? There's a huge amount, it looks like, there's on there. And, you know, even some of the poor films... I think you're going to want to watch him on Blu-ray anyway, just to see how they scrub up. And so, yeah, it's it's going to be pretty much the ultimate ultimate Bond box set, isn't it? Pretty much. And you've even got a space for the new movie as well. <laughs> yeah, which they is think, fine until the next one comes out. Think of everything. <laughs> and the Queen's got to be in there somewhere. You're going to have to have on the new Bond movie, on that Blu-ray, you're going to have to have the Olympic, aren't you? The Olympic um, set piece. It's got to be there somewhere. She's got to end up as a Bond villain, I reckon. Well, now she's a Bond girl. <laughs> she's, no, she was... She's genuinely a Bond girl now, yeah. It's, it's, it is official. It's great, that, isn't it? All right, so it's been a, a bumper movies podcast this month, and uh, sadly we have run out of time. So my thanks to uh, Steve, Chris, Simon and Mark. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Half Phil. And this is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening. We'll be back again, same time, same place, next month. We'll see you then. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.